I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to CMO Moves, the podcast that uncovers the human side of game-changing leaders. Hear their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and how they got to become leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. We hope you enjoy their stories, their advice, and take away some tips and inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of CMO Moves. Today, I am joined by Denny Tu, who is the CMO of IMAX. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Of course. Denny and I got a chance to meet in real life a couple of years ago at Brand Week in Palm Springs. It was at one of the the little parties, the first night, and we're just now getting him on the show, which I'm super pumped about. So first, let's start with you've been with IMAX now for four and a half years, four and a half years. Yeah. Okay. And all four and a half as CMO, or did you start in a different role? I started as the EVP of brand and creative, and I transitioned to the CMO role about three years ago. And I will say the, the event that I saw you at feels like a billion years ago. And, but one of the things that's really interesting is that CMOs have to be perfect unicorns. And when you put them in a room with some booze and like best practice as a sign on the door, you sort of open up and get to know each other. And what's been really amazing is, and I miss those times to get to know these amazing unicorns in our business, because it's a hard job. It's a job that takes a lot out of you. And it's a job that you have to really reach down and really distinctively latch onto the thing that makes you different, not the thing that makes you good. 
And I think at IMAX, it, it's been an incredible journey. I've had three dream jobs in my life. And I think we'll talk about this a little bit. I've been a lucky enough lad to have, I was, I consider IMAX an absolute dream job. And prior to IMAX, I was at Sky, where I ran sports marketing, premiums, ran the internal creative agency, which is the largest in Europe. Just a really good, amazing job. And prior to that, I was at BBC. And when you have a dream job, it seems to evolve. And so I'm in my, I'm in, I'm living my best life in my dream job. And you're so right about the unicorn comment, but also just, I think we take for granted when you meet somebody for the first time in, in real life, you just get to know the person, the human first, not what they do, not what their title is. And I feel like now in our virtual world, it's flipped on its head. You're not able to have those kind of serendipitous conversations. So I I 100% miss that and can't wait to see everybody again. So tell me a little bit about, are you from LA? I am. Someone once described me as born in Taipei, raised in LA, polished in London, which I always loved. So I've made the made the journey, and I've always been the other, which has been a really defining part of my career as a CMO. And the other, which I'm I'm sure we'll talk about a bit more, has really helped me navigate that. But yeah, I'm an LA I'm an LA boy. I do love In and Out. I love all the great things about LA and the sun. But having an an international role, which I had for ten years, was really amazing. Okay. So what brought you back to the States? It's a little nutty. It's a lot of people don't know this. So I'm very happy to share it. Dramatic long story short, when I was 30, I had, I was diagnosed with cancer. I went through a lot of radiation, a lot of chemotherapy. I have some disabilities, some invisible disabilities from that. But after cancer, I moved to London to resuscitate and many things happened. Cancer was the best, worst thing that ever happened to me. And I made my way through the UK and it became this incredible place to just reset my mind, body, and spirit. And it was um, absolutely fantastic. And then I got married. I married a Brit. He is amazing. And I became a British citizen. But a lot of people don't know that same-sex couples for a long time couldn't sponsor their other halves for visas. So we were one of 30,000 couples in exile from the United States. And overnight, Obama overturned the Defense of Marriage Act on a, I don't know, it was a Wednesday. And in the morning, my husband said to me, we can go home. And it was like this crazy, like, why, how can we go home? I've invested all my time in England. I've got this great career. And he says, we need to be where your family is. And we couldn't before. And I uh, made a call to the big wigs at Sky and said, it's time to go home. And they were so supportive and they were wonderful. And then it opened up so I could sponsor him and, and not be in exile. So did you stay with Sky when you came over or did you leave your role at Sky when you came back? I, I, left, I left my role at Sky, which was fantastic. And then I had a little bit of time sailing the Mediterranean and spent time doing things that I want to do on paper. I was like, we should live in the south of France and buy our vegetables and cook whatever. And there were all these kind of wish list items. We had really a, a great time kind of decompressing the head. I think CMOs have to be perfect and they feel an enormous sense of needing the big solve, the big eye in innovation or leading transformational change. And it can take a lot out of you. And mm-hmm. I definitely was a person who just worked all the time and I, I needed the break. So moving back to the States was just a fantastic thing. And also I think the difference between kind of British marketing culture and American marketing culture was very jarring. So it was really refreshing for me to bring some of the skills from the UK and some relationships back to the US. And I'm actually a very global business. We're in 85 countries around the world. It was a really a natural fit. I think after I landed in LA, I was off to our Shanghai office a few weeks later. So wow. it felt very natural. Yeah. That's definitely an example of you made a decision that was about leading with your personal needs and desires and not necessarily career first. Do you feel like you 
still have that approach? I describe my career in sort of two chapters, and I noticed this with younger marketeers. I think we spend the first half of our careers being the most learned, overprepared, thorough people ever. Great decks, great articulation, practice in front of the mirror, know the details so you can be good at details. And actually reach a part of your career where you go, you change that and you go with your gut. You don't have to be the most thorough person. Presenting at board level is a very different experience and not being caught out is a very different thing. So for me, I've always gone with my gut. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it, it goes down to sort of what is right for you at the time. When I landed at IMAX after working at Sky, which is a very muscular company, big budgets, biggest budget in Europe in marketing, just the smartest people. I was so proud to be shoulder to shoulder. It just worked a different part of your brain. At IMAX, the very first week, it creeped me out. Everyone was so friendly. It, they were so nice that it, it threw me. And it was, and I remember we did an offsite and I think they sent me like, a Patagonia sweater with my name stitched in it. It was something like from the 1980s and it was what I needed and it was thoughtful and kind and it was familial and it was all those things. For me, my gut was right on it. Still with the ruthlessness to win, a, co a company, Mimax, was founded at the World's Fair in Osaka over 50 years ago. So a really storied history and I was just excited by it, but gut gets you there. None of the sort of the head, heart, hand stuff. I, it was definitely, it was definitely the heart. And when you think back in your career, you had experience in media companies. Did you ever see yourself becoming a CMO? Yeah, I think we always dream about the unicorn, but I don't think anyone knows what that means because for every CMO, I've got great colleagues. Every role is really different. Mm -hmm. So the title versus the reality versus the value you bring is the interesting part. And I think go to Devil Wears Prada. I think every youngling wants to be a CMO. And I think it's a great thing. It, the title is one thing, but the responsibility and the expectation is pretty huge. I you know, work 24 hours a day. The phone rings. If you saw the amount of unread emails on my phone right now, it would really upset you. It's an intense job. And for me, I never resent it. And I think the moment you resent it, where you feel like part of you is being taken away from it and you don't want to be bothered on a Sunday at 9 p.m., it's, it, it's time to go. Yeah. But if you love it and you can make it your own and every the, the CMO has fundamentally changed in the last sort of five years. Yeah, I'd, I'd hoped for it. I didn't think I knew what it meant. I'm just curious your thoughts on the CMO tenure, the challenges in the role, how there's a lot of movement that happens within the CMO role across companies. I mean, if we were back at, if we were back in that Palm Springs location, I would definitely be ordering a Negroni right now to talk about this. I think it is a really important conversation. CMO tenure is very short. We're like beautiful fireflies. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's really important to understand your worth and value. And the thing I hear time and time again is that we're tired. And I certainly hear that from colleagues. And, and I think part of it is CMOs work in creative businesses. We are creative humans. We are cheerleaders. We're people pleasers. We're all of this. All the things that filled us when we were younger leading teams, being excited that we'd get together for an offsite. All the great stuff that fill us have been empty in the last two years. They're gone. And to be honest, the CMO can be a very lonely role. So you go from wanting to join the party to maybe not being invited to the party because the party is for other people, not for the boss. And so I think it's the like collision of all these things in the last few years, exacerbated by the fact that Zoom 
and virtual meeting is not meeting in a creative business. In my business, when you work with filmmakers or advertising agencies or creative people, bad news over the phone, you don't do it over Zoom. If there's notes, we would never do that. You'd sit together and talk about what you're going to do to fix it. And there's trust in the room. We've been, we don't have any of that. So we've been, we, all of our tools have been taken away. And I think it's had a knock-on effect on the CMO. And I certainly, the impact on the P&L and the marketing line has taken a, a big hit. We've been really lucky. I'm thankful that I'm surrounded by a great team and great products and great filmmakers and a great suite. We've had a record-breaking year, record-breaking fourth quarter, record-breaking local language, beating some numbers in 2019, and dealing with ensuring that customers are safe, but also ensuring that we're motivated. Like yeah. CMOs love that, record-breaking this, rec- but, but what does that mean? And so I think it's about holding the teams together. And that's why you're seeing the challenge with the suite. It's not an easy job. But when you get it right, it can be extraordinary. Given all the changes and the things that we've had to go through over the past couple of years, how have you been able to keep your team motivated when things were changing so drastically for your entire industry? I'm just curious, like, what do you feel truly has kept people motivated? I would say if I'm really harsh on myself, someone asked me, I was in Miami for an event and someone said to me, how are you taking care of yourself physically? Like, and I said, poorly. And so when you ask me, how are you keeping your teams motivated? I would say poorly. I think we start with the fact that I don't think we're all doing a great job at everything. Mm -hmm. So I think when you start with being honest about how well you're doing, then you can solve it. How can I keep teams motivated when teams have a disparate set of challenges, whether or not it's childcare, career progression, there's so many different things that have, have happened. And we can definitely do the hygiene things like being very clear and having good one-to-ones and being engaged. But I also think they get motivated when I'm motivated. Mm-hmm. And I've taken on projects this year that are personal passion projects within accessibility, disability, DNI, and they can see me excited and that excites them. I think when we're on, our teams are on. When we're in bad moods, the mm-hmm. teams feel it. And it's, it's something that we have to be aware of. So I don't think I'm doing a great job. We can always do a better job. Yeah. And I think it's about breaking through the reality that every single individual who's dealing with this is irrecoverably changed. Like the change to the human spirit, we don't know the true effects of what being separated from one another has done to self, team, and business. And there's a lot of good work to be done in the area. It's different for everybody. What motivates me is different than what motivates you. So it's a responsibility of leaders to be very aware of the impact that their actions are having on their team, but also everybody has their unique situation. I think it's just being aware, empathetic to what people are going through. You might not know all the details of what's going on behind the Zoom. Everybody's going through something. I I think just to build on that, because we mentioned it earlier, I think our job as CMOs is to grow the brand, to super serve the underserved, to do all these great commercial things. But part of it is also to bring some of you into the role. I had mentioned earlier that I'm very proudly 15 years in remission. It's a badge of, it's a badge of honor. I've lost half my hearing. And when you're a, a, a person that's supposed to be perfect and you hire CMOs that should look like Cadillacs, you're just perfect. And you don't talk about vulnerability. And I share this story with you, which I'm happy to share in my, you know, that first week at IMAX, I came in, I flew to Toronto. They set up a demo for me and it was the evolution of sound. Some things they were working on. I had headphones in and I had six men, probably about six years old, staring at me. And as I started to watch and listen to this very interesting technology superiority demo, I heard tones and sounds that I never heard before. I hadn't heard in 10 years. And it was super upsetting and very disruptive. And I sat there and I got really emotional. 
And they were staring at me going, wow, he really loves the demo. And not knowing that they gave me something that I hadn't had in a really long time through kind of the hard work they did. I didn't really say it at the time. And when I disclosed it to colleagues or the marketing team, they were like, what are we going to do with this? And fast forward years later, our work with audio, and I'm very proud that AMC, we've done a lot of work. Eternals served up our first deaf superhero this year. And it was very powerful. We worked with Chloe Zhao on this movie. It was extraordinary. And then working with our partners at AMC, they had worked on creating open caption screenings that were available in 240 locations in over 100 markets to ensure that there was an equitable experience for those individuals so they could understand it in that way. And I think there was a big part of that was to bring me into the fold and to share that story. I did an interview with Time. And there's no reason why the 15 plus million adults in the US with hearing disabilities who love Marvel films, as an example, mm-hmm. should get anything in limited choice and accessibility. But I think for me, bringing that story and making it more <clears throat> personal and human is a business imperative because it's too easy to say that doesn't work in the PL. And yeah, bringing all that together has been a fantastic part of it and bringing your full self when you can. Yeah. You can't do that out of the gates, but you can certainly do it as you get, get your, your sea legs. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like you ask any CMO or marketer today, what, what makes a great CMO? The answer is going to be vastly different. But one thing that comes up a lot is solving consumer problems. Marketers are problem solvers. And when you really get to the heart of it, if you're able to do that through your job, that brings a lot of purpose. I'm curious how that even got in- initiated, right? So Marvel has this character, this movie's coming out, it's going to be across theaters worldwide. How did that come about with the closed captioning being something that collectively you all wanted to pursue? I think what's amazing about the movie business is in Hollywood itself, you think about the construction of Hollywood. It's like a a city where on Monday night you can go to sleep and you're nobody and Tuesday morning you can wake up and you're somebody. It's a city built on dreams. And so I don't think there was like a point A to point B on any movie. I think there's from all the people that make any of the stories come together. It's like a group effort and there's some magical connections. And I think you look at what we've been faced with in the movie business in the last two years, um, characterized by streaming versus theatrical. I came from the streaming world. I came from a world where customer choice, convenience and choice is a great thing. I I love streaming options. They're great for people who need them at the time. And I, I obviously would love, I love theatrical experiences that bring something really unique. That experience is connecting all the dots and working with partners to ensure that we can line them up. And so there's no perfect thing there. I think you look at just, again, making it personal. When I had my first screening of Dune, I'm going to see the Batman this afternoon. Matt Reeves has done an amazing job on the movie. When people see me put specialty earplugs in, they're curious because they're wondering whether or not I think it's too loud and they don't realize that I have no disability. And I think there's a human curiosity to get to know your fellow person. And, and then you connect the dots and you say, maybe what we should do is instead of having somebody who has a hearing disability need to get a specialty piece of equipment that makes them feel like the other and half the time don't work, that we're creating opportunities with captioning that are forced and not chosen. And it's really fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's so exciting. What else is coming up for you guys? When we think about the movie experience, is there any innovation that you and your team are jazzed up about? It's like saying, who's your favorite kid? I would say that I am so inspired by the craft of filmmaking and the passion that our filmmakers are putting into movies. For us, we're not an exhibitor. We don't just show movies. On many movies, we work with our partners very upstream to shoot movies with our cameras, as we did with Dune and with Bond and some other really incredible movies that are sort of chock full of what we call IMAX DNA. And the goal of that is to bring it to life 
in a really unique format for us. And in 2022, we have a record-breaking number of movies with IMAX DNA. So there's over 10, and you're talking about a year with Avatar, you're talking about a year with Black Panther, you're talking about Top Gun. And if I told you anything specific about it, I'm sure the other movies might feel a little kind of funny, but I would just say some of these movies that I've seen are so extraordinary in the craft and the theatrical experience, it will just make you feel whole. And I'm so excited when we live in a world where stories are very nourishing for fanboys and fangirls of whatever your ilk, whether or not it was Spider-Man or whether or not you're a big fan of Top Gun or you're a fan of, of Doctor Strange. That's your bag. That's your church. And when you come out and experience in the ways that we're going to deliver it, we're really excited. We're also doing new types of innovation and bringing new types of content into the theater. We're very excited to be working with Disney. This Sunday, we're doing Beatles, the rooftop concert remastered in the IMAX format in a really amazing fan experience that's connected. And we have Peter Jackson hosting it. And we've recreated this moment. You're going to see, you've been able to watch it on Disney Plus, but you're going to be able to see it in the IMAX format where the Beatles in their uh, younger years, it's the last concert they did together on top of Savile Row in London, performing like, like they had nothing to lose. And you have crowds down on the street looking up and the footage in, in IMAX is extraordinary. And we're doing that uh, one night only. So I think kind of building more products for more people and having folks uh, see movie theaters more than just a place to get content, but a place to experience something really differently is very exciting for me. In what way has the pandemic kind of changed how you market to consumers, if at all? I think prior to the pandemic, advertising was noise. I think prior to the pandemic, marketeers have a really grandiose sense of what we do. It's a poster. It's an ad-like product. It is what it is, but no one wants to be marketed to. Certainly some people do it really well and some people don't. So prior to COVID, it was just scream. who could scream the loudest and say the right thing. I think the way we think about marketing, it, it's in the experience. So for us, it's needing to communicate something that's very ethereal. And there are different ways that we do that. We certainly have been focusing a lot more on fans and fandom and ensuring that we're really tapped into that. And again, we're seeing it in the numbers. We're really happy with the numbers we're seeing in the theater. We absolutely focus on safety with our partners to ensure that there's a safe environment. And then we got to deliver the best product because we're competing with valet parking, leaving your house, finding time. But there is something to the commitment of a two-hour movie where you're sitting with other people who are really excited. There's nothing like going to an IMAX Friday night at the, the TCL Chinese mm-hmm. on something like Spider-Man. There's nothing like that feeling in the room. We are so lucky to have the biggest fans in the world. And so we just got to distill that. In terms of innovation, any predictions, the next five years, the next 10 years, anything that you can think of about the movie going experience? I would separate IMAX from general theatrical exhibition, because I think there are two sorts of things there. I think you're going to see theatrical exhibition focus on premium comfort. You see a lot of kind of high-end cocktails, handshaken, Mm -hmm. fancy buttons, recliners. That's not our wheelhouse. We are very focused on big blockbuster events with the largest screens that deliver a very unique experience that can't be measured and matched. So for us, it's about doing that right with new partners and doing, we've done some really interesting projects with Kanye as an example. We did a Kanye and Drake a concert from the Coliseum in, in partnership with a streamer. And so that 
says a lot if you can get this incredible concert streamed at home and they were fantastic, but that we would deliver this um, in the theaters. And it, the, the response in IMAX was extraordinary because you're up the way we shot it was shot with our IMAX cameras. It, it was like you were there. So extending that into music is something that I think you can see uh, us doing in the future. And we're very excited about um, using IMAX as a tool to create extraordinary experiences and that can be applied to very many verticals. And you'll see more of that from us in the future. I love that. I love that. I want to talk about the mentor program a little bit. Denny has been a mentor in our executive mentor program and just the power of mentorship, Denny, how has that impacted your career? The mentor mentee relationship is, and it's said a lot because it's true is that the mentor takes out way more than the mentee. And certainly in any program that I've been involved in, I had always really looked forward to look forward to the sessions because they're on so many levels, individuals who are very passionate, but they just need someone to help them connect the dots between A, B, and C. And so it has been extraordinary and kudos, kudos to you all on continuing such a great program. And it's fantastic. On the mentor side for me, I think when individuals are looking for a mentor I think you need to take a step back and ask yourself, what is it that you need in your life right now? Because it's really different. I remember when I got my first mentor, I was the most senior gay at Sky. I think it was like the funniest line. So it was like, okay, whatever, you know, how the least interesting thing about me, to be honest, but you win awards, you're in newspapers or all this kind of stuff. And what I needed from a mentor was just the ability to talk about how much I shouldn't just should not disclose. And so a lot of the work that I did was just about being the natural me and what was it like to go to a dinner or a board meeting? Would you bring your husband or not? There were a lot of innocuous questions. They weren't actually like, how do I reach the thing? What do I do? And through that process, I think people reflect that really to you. I think mentors and mentees, one great thing is when people meet you, they don't have baggage. They can just tell you what they really think. I want to shout out the McKinsey program, which was fantastic leadership program that I was involved in in, in London. I don't think I told you the story, but you know, I was in a room full of C-suite individuals who wanted to get to the CEO level. So it was a bunch of individuals that came from diverse backgrounds. And one of the partners said, how did you get to where you needed to go? And I look at him still to this day as a mentor. He's fantastic. And you, know, you can imagine the answers. I came around to me and I said, oh, I'm very, I was lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. I had a good mentor. I think I'm smart. I'm hardworking. That's how I got to where we were. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, as a good mentor would, that is exactly why you're never going to be a CEO, your answer. And everybody in the room was like, what? And he said, because your counterpart who's aiming for your job would simply say, because I'm fucking good at my job. And you covering for what you perceive as your strengths is not helpful. I think I used this analogy earlier, but it's you're walking with a backpack full of 20 pounds of rocks because your energy is not dedicated to making you, to making your boat go faster. Mm -hmm. You are too obsessed with things that don't matter to a board mm -hmm. and you need to decide if that's how you want to transition. So it was a really honest bit of feedback and you'll get as much out of a mentor relationship as you want and you're ready for it because that's a really hard truth because I was really proud of those things. I was really yeah. proud to be a thoughtful ethical uh, marketing leader. And actually, you should just say you're fucking good. And you are because you forget that you are because you won't ever you're not going to get that sort of praise from other people. So if you don't praise yourself, you're not getting anywhere. 
Damn, that's some good mentorship advice right there. I think we could all use that. Thank you for sharing, Denny. What about reverse mentorship? I'm curious because again, you're in you're in our program. You're paired with a mentee. We hear a lot about the value of reverse mentorship, and most of the time, it's pretty informal. Is there anything? I'm just curious if there's anything that you could think is would be super helpful for you to gain from reverse mentorship from somebody who's less senior in their career. When two people meet for the first time that don't know each other, it's a little weird. It's two squirrels that are meeting, and you're trying to figure out: Are you stealing my nut, or am I going to follow you and find the <laughs> nut? Like, I think, generally speaking, you have two people, and if there's a power difference generally mentor-mentee, yeah. it's, it can be really difficult. And I remember Tara, when we were first talking early on <clears throat> as, as her and her kind of thinking about being a mentee and what she wanted to get out of it, I said, how do you describe yourself in a line? And she had explained it. And it was all these things that were very thoughtful and logical. And I'm like, that's great, but who are you? And she said, the servant leader. And I got her immediately and I understood that she was there to build people. But in doing so, she wasn't really building herself up. And it was a great conversation. We won't go too deep in it, but just like this amazing experience for me. And reverse mentorship should be like knocking on the door of somebody who's glazed over and to wake them up. Oh, we're in a safe space so I can tell this story. This is going to sound terrible, but it's a good, it's a good thing. I remember going to very early on when I got a very senior job and I was at a mixer event and I generally don't go to mixers because they're not really my bag, but I met just this extraordinary young woman who wanted to be a CMO. And this is not at, at IMAX. And she said, how's it, what does the air smell like up there? And I remember just being really upset because the answer that I would give her wouldn't be what she thought. Mm-hmm. There's really no right answer. It's just, it smells of Aesop and strawberries. <laughs> I don't think that's what you want to hear, but I don't think she necessarily wanted to hear acerbic or whatever mm-hmm. else. So I think like the power of reverse mentorship is as good as what you want to take out of it and what you want to shake up because CMOs need it. What about other advice? You already dropped a couple good gems, but what other advice can you give to people who see themselves as CMO one day? Who Maybe they're a couple roles away. Maybe it's it's a little further, but what would you say to them today on their path? I was on a, on a panel once talking about being a 50-year-old brand. It was like us, McDonald's, Xerox. I don't remember. It was like one of those kind of things. And they said, how does it feel to be 50? And I just said, why do we always judge ourselves by our achievements in life? So at 40, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to own a house. 30, you're supposed to be married. 60, you're supposed to have retirement, like whatever. Why are we always judging ourselves by achievement? Why don't we remember what makes us different? And I I guess my advice to folks who want to move up the chain is really distill what makes you different. You're already good. So just distilling what makes you good is not so important. Mm -hmm. I think that's number one. I think number two is, is really understanding how you add value in a way that is incredibly tangible because marketing is, can be a very mystical art. And so a large part of being a CMO is to build incredible P&Ls and to work behind the scenes with your frenemies if you have them. But there are a lot of things that you have to do that, that allows that value to come out. And I think very, if you haven't gotten into the, to the CMO role yet, you might want to ask a few people that you've worked with to distill it for you because they probably know you better than the other person. 
And then the third thing is, I think, to really ask yourself why you want it. I think a lot of people want things because of what they look like. Another thing you hear from CMOs is when you've worked 20 years or 10 years or 15 years to get the title, what's next? Mm -hmm. It's like this ascension. So once you get it, you feel very, you can feel very deflated. I sit on a board of a charity that is incredible. They're a global anti-bullying charity called Ditch the Label, and they focus on ensuring that young people have the tools to combat kind of the misperceptions that come with social media. So like board roles can be very helpful in rounding yourself out and nourishing yourself because the ascension is over. It, it, it can be very capped. So I think early in your career, if you can figure out what you want from it, you'll be more likely to get it. You've talked a lot about just feeling like an other. Do you feel like you've fully at this point in your career embraced your other and that you're fully able to 100% be yourself? And I ask that because I feel like that's always going to be in the back of everyone's mind, embracing our other and feeling like you're what you can 100% bring yourself to your professional life the way you do personally. What, how do you feel about that? Just an open question. I feel it's a lifelong journey for all of us. Mm -hmm. I, I feel very lucky that I do. It's taken a lot of time to get there. There's a really quirky phrase called the handmade tatame divide, I think if I'm pronouncing that right. And it's a phrase where I think the hanmei, I don't want to get it wrong, but the hanmei is a face you put to the world which you can imagine as like a CV or a resume. It's like the best version of yourself. And the tatame is your truest self. And the goal is to reduce the hanmei tatame divide where what you present and what you live is as narrow as possible. That's what we try to do for brands. So when you are judging or valuing brand affinity on a rating scale and you're doing all this work around ITP and building all these models, brand affinity for me is a really simple definition. It's how a brand behaves when no one's looking. And very similarly with bringing your whole self to work, there's, if you can't accept me in our natural self, just in life, your friendships, relationships, whatnot, people should see you at your best and your worst and still love you. And so I've been very lucky. I, there's a lot of transparency in my role. I fight for the things that matter to me. And there's a lot of things that matter. Women in leadership, DNI, equitable innovation. There's a, there's a lot there and putting a face to it is really important because as a C-suite exec, it is your responsibility to have pointy elbows. And if you can tie it to something that's vulnerable, it's a little bit easier to make it real for people that can make things happen. Yeah, I feel very lucky. Absolutely. Would you have done anything differently earlier in your career that could maybe help others who are maybe feeling like they're in a similar boat and they haven't quite come into their own in the workplace? It's a great question. I don't know what I would do differently. Being a, a visible leader is hard and can be very scary and it feels self-indulgent. I remember all those moments where something that you were proud of also felt like something that you were shouting about. But I think we also overthink things as marketeers. We have to be super prepared. We have to overthink. We have to be these unicorns and it's okay to, to be vulnerable and it's okay to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's okay to be wrong. And yeah, I think in transparency, probably not much. I've been very lucky. I'm very lucky because I think also the other thing is I understood very early on that my kind of personality type, which can be aggressive, can be calm, can be this, it, it sort of worked to my benefit. So it was like, people didn't really understand it. They didn't see a gay person working in sports marketing. Mm -hmm. They didn't see an Asian male working in entertainment marketing. They had not seen that. Like, it, I think looking different has definitely helped me in a way. And it's, it comes with full transparency. I want to wrap up with just asking you, we just came off a, a couple episodes talking about what's keeping you up at night as a CMO. I think resounding answer, right, is, is 
people and our teams and and trying to take care of ourselves while taking care of others and all of that responsibility as well as keeping up with culture, the, the pace of culture on the outside, and always, to Denny's point, feeling like you have to be ahead of the game and, and be on your A game. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and ask you, Denny, if you could change one thing about our industry as marketeers, what would you change? I would change kind of the balance between you know head and heart. I think marketeers have to be making business cases on things that instinctively sometimes feel right. And the business case might not suss it out. And people sometimes get lost in the kind of wisdom versus knowledge of it. I think the definition is what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is to know to not put it in a fruit salad. And I wish we could be more wise than need to make business cases about knowledge because of the pressures on the business and the marketing line item. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I would change. I would change the fact that investing in brand means that beautiful fruits will grow in three years. So don't judge it based on how big the fruit is. We started growing fruit in our beautiful backyard and have a whole garden, but don't judge it after six weeks and don't make a business case. I I would change the, the head heart balance there. I love that. That's such an insightful answer, Denny. I can't thank you enough. I know you're incredibly busy watching incredible movies and getting to work on some really innovative things that I I know I'm personally excited um, about in in your world of the movie business. So thank you for making the time to be here. I I so appreciate you sharing your personal stories. And I know that it'll help many people who are listening. And I know it definitely has had an impact on me. Thank you, my friend. It was a pleasure to be here. And just to say to everyone, we're in this together. And as marketeers, we are our biggest cheerleaders and we have to use each other to get through very dark times. So this isn't just about how to navigate being a CMO. It's to remind yourself that you are surrounded in an industry of marketeers who are willing to help and know you're not alone. And we're going to, we're going to beat this together. Amen. Thank you for that, Denny. I appreciate it. Take care. And hopefully I'll see you IRL very soon. Sounds great. IRL. (laughs) Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, we'd love your help in sharing CMO moves with one of your friends or colleagues. And please also be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. Better yet, leave us a review while you're at it. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 